Happy Friday. It is almost the weekend, which of course means absolutely nothing right now. It just means two days at the end of the week. Yeah, we've got 35s this week. Um, we have a little bit of football news. We're also going to have our friend Stanford Steve on to talk about, you know, some of the – I'm not even going to lie. You know, we are knee-deep in this quarantine thing and uh, running out of topics here. And we had the draft Sunday. I know I said it would drag it out for months and months, but I, I want to be creative. So I thought about the worst breaks in sports history. If you Google that, it's actually not something you want to look at because a lot of times Google – translates that as, hey, let's look at the guy from Louisville's leg injury. Let's look at, uh, you know, Joe Theismann's leg injury. Uh, not interested in doing that. But what we're talking about is like bad luck situations. Uh, and some of these are going to be mixed bad luck. Some, you know, some of these players and teams had agency here, could have made the right play or the right move. But all told, it's just an unlucky, unfortunate situation. So we're going to bring Stanford Steve in, who has a wealth of knowledge, uh, very funny, friend of the program. Uh, and we're going to run through our list of bad breaks in the sports world. That doesn't mean they're the biggest, baddest breaks. They're just ones we feel like talking about on a Friday morning. So uh, we'll hit that. We will go through some NFL news real quick. We will talk about our number 35s. Everybody staying safe out there. I'm your host, Chris Long. This is the Green Light Pod, and I have via Zoom. Thank you to the good folks at Zoom for making this possible. My co-host, Making Gunner. This is episode 35 proper. Welcome. Yo, Chris, happy May Day. I want to ask you though, doesn't the weekend still have a vibe to it, a feel to it, even though it's the exact same as Monday through Friday? You know, it does. If you're churning out content uh, all week, it, it, there's, it's, it's a good break. You know, I, I let the vocal cords rest. Um, I let the brain rest a little bit. This is hard work. Even if you're not churning content, I'm telling you, I'm like, oh, it's Saturday. Why don't I stay up until 1230? Yeah, let's stay up till 2 a.m. for no reason. 1155 that I try to hit. Yeah, it's weird. I'll probably think that I'm entitled to play video games later. And my lovely wife, Meg, will remind me that, um, you know, Saturday morning is going to start around the same time. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. What are you playing? Call of Duty. Finally got that thing right. I told you guys about that a few weeks ago. My brothers had been uh, pressuring me to play the game. I downloaded the game. I've been playing it for days, getting my kill, kill death ratio up only to realize that I had downloaded the wrong game. I was playing a three-year-old Call of Duty game. And uh, that was embarrassing. But now I am on Call of Duty. I love it. I missed it. I didn't know how much I missed it. You've been playing some video games too, I understand. Yeah, my lovely wife, Kate, goes to bed a couple hours before I do. So that's me time. Credit Big Cat with the inspiration. I've been playing a seven-year-old video game called NC2A Football where I started as uh, an OC at Georgia, was there two years, won a chip. Then I moved on to UCLA. I'm about uh, year three there, eight and zero, number four in the country. I spend untold amounts of time recruiting fake (laughs) 
uh, avatars. Little digital, uh, little digital men. Yeah, and then the most embarrassing part, which I absolutely love, is that when they commit to UCLA, I don't go in there and change their attributes. I change their names. Hmm. So I had a, I got a running back last year. He was playing a little in his first year in Pasadena. Good his for him. Was, his name was Mike Hodge. That's, that's who committed. I changed his name to Orlando Hodges. And uh, <laughs> now he's just got a lot more swag to him. And he's, he's got a little bit more swag. And I'm, I'm assuming you're playing the game a little bit because of our friend Big Cat. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I didn't think – I saw him play, and I was like, damn, I missed those days. And I just went looking through an envelope of Xbox games, thinking I would find NBA 2K14 or so, and there was NCAA football. I didn't think I had it. So uh, it doesn't quite hit like it used to, as the kids say, but uh, it's a nice way to pass a few nights during quarantine. Yeah, deep in the recruiting uh, game, late at night in quarantine. Uh... The little digital men, I'm sure they love the program you're building. Uh, they should know, though, that it's probably unsafe to gather in crowds of 65,000 right now. Uh, if they weren't aware, there is a pandemic. You can also make these kids promises, and I promise all the kids who are from Cali that I will get them a home game or I'll play a game. In their yeah, you'll get them a home? I'll, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> recruiting violations. I'll get them a game in their home state which feels like uh, a bit of a cheat code because we're playing 75% of our games in the state of California. I love it. I love it. Playing chess, not checkers. Right. Uh, Macon Gunner, formerly offensive coordinator at Georgia, now head coach at UCLA. Got the Bruins rolling. Uh, you might want to monitor that. Um, but let's start off right off the bat with our 35s, and I'll let you go first. You're number 35. My number 35 is Reggie Lewis. Born November 21st, 1965 in Baltimore, Maryland. Was a first-round pick of the Boston Celtics in 1987. He went to Northeastern, where he was coached by Jim Calhoun. 17th game of his second season, he went head-to-head with his heiress, Michael Jordan. Lewis had 33-6-4. I remember talking to MJ about him, said Jim Calhoun. Oh, I was like, oh, damn, you talked to MJ. Michael said, Michael said, Reggie's first step was the best in the league. That's pretty high praise. Calhoun also said that Reggie was the only guy he knew who would want to go one-on-one full court as just a way of getting a workout in, which is pretty nutty when you think about it, to go full court one-on-one. The guy also had 36 in the 92 playoffs against the Cavs, followed by 42-6-5. His teammate, D. Brown, said by that point he was our quiet superstar. He says he watches Kevin Durant, can't help but see Reggie Lewis. He was the guy. He was the captain. He was a superstar. Um, he goes on to play game one of a first-round matchup against the Hornets in 93. Midway through the first quarter in the Boston Garden, he has 11 points, and he then stumbles to the court. Um, crumbles to the floor as if his Reeboks were tied together, said a uh, Slam magazine piece. Following day, checked into New England Baptist Hospital, underwent a series of tests, and was diagnosed with focal cardiomyopathy. He was shooting around three months later at Brandeis University, where he collapsed again and later died. 
Chris, uh, he was the first dude, uh, celebrity. I remember dying. He died July 27th, 1993 in Waltham, Massachusetts. And when I heard about it, I guess I would have been, uh, seven, you may be eight. Eight. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And I was just like, wow. Um, that was my first experience with a, with a non family member dying and it and it was it it shook me he wore the the number 35 he scored 21 a season for two seasons mind you this is seven years after the death of Lim Bias uh Celtics organization hit with two tragedies uh within a decade hard to believe but a guy that uh in my mind is often forgotten not widely talked about Absolutely. Um, he, I hadn't heard his name in quite a while. I had to Google the year he died. I, I remember he passed away, but I don't remember it vividly as a kid. Uh, I'm not going to act like I remembered when he passed away in that moment. But it does make me think about, um, you know, I, I wonder, it feels like as we're getting older, celebrity deaths are more common. Now, part of that might be that we're older and people that we actually pay attention to are dying more, uh, which is natural. But I think also, like, it's easier to become a celebrity these days. So statistically speaking, if you open Twitter, um, there's going to be somebody who passed away. That was a shocking one. I mean, like, when an athlete dies in their prime, that's really shocking. I think it makes them seem even more superhero-ish because they play a sport, and that's what you know them for. So, yeah, I mean, that's a huge shocker. I there. Few and far between. I mean, you mentioned Len Bias, but from that time period, that was one of the most shocking uh, celebrity or athlete deaths out there. Yeah, no doubt. And this is after the Bird, McHale, Parrish, Celtics years. This is, of course, before the more recent run when they're winning titles. They really could have run that thing throughout the 90s. I mean, these are playoff teams that Reggie Lewis is playing on and playing well and going head to head with. Michael Jordan um, holding his own. And uh, I remember I had his basketball card. That's probably uh, why, it, why I, part of the reason why it hit me so hard as a seven-year-old was, you know, that shoebox full of basketball cards was uh, one of your most prized possessions. And to think that this superhero can, can just be taken away like that is, um, is eye-opening to a, to a youngster, to say the least. Yeah, let me bridge the gap to yours by mentioning another 35, and that was myself. Uh, I wish I could say it was in tribute to Reggie Lewis. Instead, I was sick on Jersey Selection Day for St. Anne's Belfield's uh, ninth grade basketball team. I did, not, I did not make junior varsity my freshman year. And uh, so I got so stuck. So what happened? Did you play in the eighth and ninth grade team? It was just retire. Nah, these years it was just there. There were so many of us that they created just a freshman team. Wow. Like Kingston. Kingston was our was our rock on that squad. Um, but I uh, I was saddled. I feel like with thirty five. I didn't know when Jersey Day was going to be. I would have gone into school because this is something that that matters a lot to me. Um, saving grace was that Travis Watson at Virginia was also wearing uh-huh. thirty five. Um, so I could play it off as if I was trying to be like our guy T, um, some might know him. T Watt. 
That's T. Watt. Uh, T. Watt was a dog, man. I love T. Watt. Uh, and Juan Unis, um, cream sickles. Our version of the cream sickles are worthy of a Google search. Yeah, I scored probably like 20 points that entire season. Uh, a couple clutch free throws to send it to overtime against Collegiate. But 35, um, I don't think it's the sexiest number. We can go through a few after you. No, it's not. I don't know what makes it so unsexy. It's especially unsexy in football. Um, 35 is just a weird number. And some of these these teams with their numeric styles shrink that number really small for whatever reason. It just looks on, – on a big back, it can just look tiny. Um, now, my 35, I'm not going to overthink this, is Kevin Durant. He's been one of my favorites just because – and, of course, Frank Thomas was in there. Um, there were a few that, uh, that I thought about. The D-Train was in there. Agreed. Um, Dontrell yeah. Willis, I thought long and hard about making him my 35. By the way, he follows me on Twitter. So right. shout-out to Dontrell Willis. That's a great follow there. Um, also, uh, obviously, Kevin Durant. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to figure this one out. I've been a fan of his. I've defended him. You know, in locker room conversations when guys say, you know, he's um, he's a ring chaser, this, that, and the third. This whole concept of ring chasing in pro sports is, is an awkward one. Um, you know, I think on one hand, you know, you would be applauded growing up for putting the team first and buying into a team um, situation where you're, a, a, you know, a key cog, but not the A1 guy. And what we found is this debate over the last decade of how is it acceptable to win your championships? And Kevin Durant's one guy who's been unapologetic about what he does and where he goes. He's also been entertaining to me because of the burner accounts, the, the clapbacks. He seems very human. He seems just like what a lot of us would act like if we had that much fame. And uh, he's also one of the best of all time. Um, and he is a DMV native. So uh, I've got Kevin Durant, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll see one of these next these Nets teams play itself out where he can, uh, in the minds of some people who have downgraded his success because he joined the, the Warriors, and by the way, he was the reason the Warriors were great, in my opinion, and uh, he was the catalyst for them being as dominant as they were. I mean, they were dominant before him, but, um, he was the best player on that team. Let's not get it twisted. Uh, maybe these Nets teams will be able to prove something out later in his career as more of an individual, and uh, and and that would be fun. Um, whenever basketball comes back. By the way, the rumor mill is stirring. We could have basketball later this year. I know LeBron definitely wants his fourth ring. Uh, he's like, no, 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 we're going to play. We're going to play. Just wait. We're going to get this thing under control. I have heard rumors, though. Uh, that the, that the season will resume at some point here in some abbreviated fashion, then we go to the playoffs. So uh, I am interested to see Kevin Durant eventually get healthy um, and, uh, and and enjoy some success again. I didn't have that sort of foresight, but I did purchase maybe my only jersey was uh, Durant thirty five Sonics, which oh, nice. now looks great. Yeah, um, and uh, can't get those anymore. Nah, and you, well, you and you probably can, but I was I was OG at the time when he was drafted, out of Texas, thirty five. Now, um, how do you reconcile KD now being a number seven 
mm-hmm. with the Nets, but being your 35. I don't like number seven. I don't like it at all. Um, although I did when I went up to see the Brooklyn Nets snag Luke and Waylon, a Katie and Kyrie jersey. One of those kids is going to grow up and look at the pictures and be like, what the fuck? I got the Kyrie jersey. Uh, the guy <laughs> believes the earth was flat. The other guy is one of the best scorers of all time. I don't remember who got what. Uh, but yeah, seven to me, uh, not my favorite. Uh, but again, Kevin Durant, definitely one of my favorites. And for all his personalities, perceived imperfections, I think that if we're honest about ourselves, we all have a little bit of that spitefulness, of that insecurity in us. And, uh, you know, here we are uh, looking at one of the, b- the best scorers of all time in, in a game where you would think that confidence is at an all-time high. And why would you lower yourself to clapping back at people or downloading a burner account? He's just like us. He's just like you. I mean, he is, he is the everyman NBA superstar. He's just a fucking asshole. And I like it. This question is halfway serious, halfway joking. Do you ever get called a ring chaser for going to new england even though you had been released and your whole entire organization moved across the country well ironically i think only like patriots fans would call me that patriots fans have a weird thing uh, about you bending over backwards to appreciate them and and the opportunity that you were given everybody that joins that team has a role to play you ever heard of it it's called do your job and my job uh was was to show up play some, uh, some three technique on run situations, play right end when I was a career left end, um, you know, do a bunch of stuff that was out of my comfort zone. And I did that in order to win a championship. I think it's, a, you know, where I was 32 years old, real good player in the league, but not a Hall of Famer or anything like that. It's not going to be as big a deal. I'm a role player on a team that's got a chance to win a championship. I think in basketball, it's a little bit different. If you're a star and you're joining a five-man roster, um, your joining that roster can impact the trajectory of that team so unfairly the way some people look at it. If you're joining a team of 53 guys, you are a cog, again, to use that twice. And, uh, and, and you've got to, uh, you got to play your role. Now, my role wasn't huge on the Pats. I haven't been called a ring chaser a lot, but I will be un- unapologetic about it. What's wrong with chasing a fucking ring? I had been in St. Louis for eight years and won at the most seven games, and that was far and away. That felt like being a Super Bowl contender relative to winning two and one uh, game. So I won't. I would never apologize to anybody about quote unquote ring chasing in New England for two reasons. One, they have no idea what it's like to play in St. Louis for eight years and waste your prime there. Two. After I left New England on my own power, on my own will, I did the opposite of ring chasing. I went to a team, and I was criticized for this by New England fans, uh, some of them, that, uh, that wasn't competitive. When I said I was leaving for, for, for Philly, uh, a lot of my IG comments were, enjoy the losing in Philly. You know, I can tell you know, you're all about you first. You're an individual, that sort of thing. Turned out, I was ring chasing twice. So let's get to the NFL news. Off the 35s, Andy Dalton's released. Shocker? Absolutely not. I would think that they could have done it earlier, um, but here we are. And, uh, and now you're, you're looking at maybe Andy to New England. That's the, the, the news that's swirling or the rumor that's swirling that's common sense for people that are in denial that New England would go with Stidham. Uh, 
could it be that they just like Stidham, that they don't like Jameis, that they don't think Cam fits? Could it also be that any of those three quarterbacks that we're talking about, uh, well, we're not talking about Jameis anymore. We're talking about Cam. We're talking about Stidham. We're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Andy Dalton. Anybody but Stidham probably guarantees you to win nine, ten games, but not a lot more. Now, I understand the, the argument for the upside of Cam Newton, but there's a lot we don't know about Cam Newton physically. You have to acknowledge that. Um, I think that sometimes when people criticize Cam Newton, a whole bunch of bad um, motivations are, uh, are, are assigned to that, to that person with the opinion. I like Cam Newton. I don't know if he's healthy, okay? Would I rather have Andy Dalton in New England? Not necessarily. I don't know. Would I rather have Jared Stidham? Because in the big scheme of things, if you win nine, ten games, you're not a winner at all in New England. Next year, you're back in the thick of it, needing a quarterback. You don't have a roster in New England right now that can win with Andy Dalton, win a Super Bowl. You might be able to win enough games to push you to the middle of the draft order next year, but you're not going to win a Super Bowl. So it's kind of a waste to me. I would stick with Stidham. What would you do? It's one of those things where I watched like a singular Jarrett Stidham game at Auburn where I had a gentleman's wager on the ball game and lost. And so I've written him off forever. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see if I also saw a lot of read option at Auburn. I just, I don't know if he's, I don't know if anyone knows if he's uh, an NFL pocket passer. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm anti. Does it matter? I mean, like, does it matter though? Because what we're really talking about here is a dynasty that nothing less than returning to that stage is going to be a success for Bill, Bill Belichick. Now, if he wins 10, 11 games with Jared Stidham, up, reputation upheld, but I'm not sure that, you know, Bill's thinking, hey, it's a mystery what Bill's thinking. I mean, you could make an argument that he's thinking, you know, hey, Jared lowers the expectations so that my legacy's intact. I don't think he thinks that way. I also don't think he wants to tank. So as a competitor, it's really tough to do. I don't think their defense is good enough historically to carry an offense that's as inept as the offense that was last year. And then you add or you subtract Tom and you add Stidham. I, I, I don't. I, they're in kind of a weird limbo situation. And I don't know that, that Andy Dalton does anything to fix it wholesale. In fact, he might drive you further down the draft order next year. Well, I do think Bill gets credit with Andy Dalton. I mean, you're talking about big numbers there, Chris, 10, 11 games. I think he, if he does that with Andy Dalton, it's, it's akin to doing it with Jared Stidham. I know Marvin Lewis did it with Andy Dalton at times. He just couldn't win a playoff game. Right. And and I don't know. You look at quarterbacks. You can certainly go through free agency as well. But um, Trevor Lawrence next year, Justin Fields, Jamie Newman, Wake to Georgia, Kellen mm-hmm. Mond, uh, Sam Ellinger, Texas. I mean, there are a lot of names. I I don't know if there's a long play. Um, it sounds like Bill was pretty candid when he talked about, yeah, we didn't draft a quarterback, but that wasn't necessarily the plan. Right. Um, no, I mean, it's just very matter of fact. And I think, again, this comes down to the general public wanting Bill Belichick and the Patriots to do something interesting when the biggest thing that they could do maybe is stay the course, see what happens. Again, you win with Jared Stidham, you are certifi- certifiably the GOAT. If you lose with him, you're in the Lawrence sweepstakes or you've got a, uh, a nice pick in next year's draft. Um, so I think expectations 
are to be um, to be tempered a bit with the Patriots. And I think with Andy Dalton, we can't forget, and I've heard people call him an average quarterback. That's a relative term. Andy Dalton brought the Bengals to the playoffs a good bit, could not win the big game. He also had Marvin Lewis to blame as well. Um, and being an average NFL quarterback, if you, if you mean that to say a mid-tier quarterback, there's only 32 in the world, if that, that can do it at a competent level. The drop-off uh, from a depth, a depth perspective at quarterback is much different than a defensive end or a wide receiver. There are 32, if that, on the planet who can do it at a high level. And Andy has had years where he's done it at a high level. And if you're calling him average, I would just say, you know, we all love to make jokes about the Bengals and Andy Dalton, but he did some good things in Cincinnati, one of which was not win a playoff game. Now, if he ends up in the playoffs with the Patriots uh, and, and, you know, some of these fans get their wish, I think he's got a much better chance at winning that game than he did with Marvin Lewis and, and you know, under the headset. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Also, quick, quick blurb before we get Stanford Steve on here. Uh, C.D. Lamb will wear 88 in Dallas. Now, I have no idea what that means. I don't know if uh, Jerry Jones made him do that. I mean, they've taken this 88 thing from Drew Pearson to Bryant to, um, to, to Dez to, um, to, to Michael Irvin, I, out of order there. But you, you would think at some point that number's sacred. But, again, I thought DeMarcus wear uh, 94, and then they have Randy Gregory wear it a year or two after he's gone. So I don't know what's going on in Dallas there with the number thing. Uh, it, it just doesn't look like it would fit C.D. Lamb, who wore number two at Oklahoma, but we shall see. Um, NCAA football 13, uh, I, I give my best player 1-3, 13. Why? Couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> swag factor. Yeah. 88, 88 just, just screams to me. Possession receiver or tight end. Yeah, well, and in in Dallas, Michael Irvin, and and only Michael Irvin. But um, yeah, we'll see. I again, an eight and an eight. It's a big number. It's a big number. It's also uh, a big expectation uh, for CD Lamb, and with good reason. I love him. It's going to be hard to root for him in Dallas, though. We've got Stanford Steve. He's got a fitted hat and a Brewers baseball jacket. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hi, Steve. How are you? Holy shit. You don't have any clippers? No. No, I don't. I guess uh, not. He's got a neck beard, doesn't he? <laughs> I've, I've clicked out of the screen where I can see you people so I can read about sports on my machine here. Are you referring to my head or my neck beard here? All of it. All of it. It's Thank tremendous. you. We had Sanford Steve on the live watch last week. It's a lot of fun. It's good to get him over the podcast wave. Steve, how you doing, man? Where you at? My home. I just cracked your bear. It's a happy hour. Let's do it. Nice. Let's fucking go. So as Steve knows, we are ranking, or not ranking, we're just talking about, we made our little individual list for biggest sports bad breaks in history. Mm -hmm. And I think these will be, I explained a little bit on the intro, uh, it'll explain itself even better as we run through them. How do you guys want to do this? You want to do a little round robin? I have one question. Yeah. Do Hail Marys, are those luck? Both. They're both. They're certainly both. Okay. okay. They're both. But, I mean, right. yeah, bring, them, bring them to the table. We, let's, let's, let's hash it out and talk it out. Should, should, should I start, since this is technically Macon and my podcast, and then Macon will go, and then Steve can go. 
Yeah, the idea is phenomenal. You guys go, I follow. This is awesome. This is awesome. So in no particular order, and there's two here that I'm going to mention and get, get off the board because they're asterisks, and I'll explain why. Chris Weber and Jim Kelly. Okay, a lot of people, if you ask them who the most unlucky team in sports is, the Bills, the Four Falls of Buffalo, that sort of thing, you look back at Chris Weber, tossed him the natty, uh, broke up the Fab Five. I'll start with this. Chris Weber is not unlucky. He was just dumb in that situation. He walked. He was flustered. That's what happened. He should have been called for the walk. They're down two with uh, seconds to go. He walks on the inbound. And I've heard people say that somebody called timeout on the bench. Steve, you would probably know better than me as somebody who was a little bit older at that time and lived it. I don't see it. When I look back, I've looked for people calling timeout. I haven't been able to find it. I think he melted down because he walked on the inbound. Now, yeah, Chris, just imagine this. We spent some time on Bourbon Street back when we were about to be able, be able to go out. Yeah. The best story I heard, I shouldn't say the best, the saddest story I heard is Weber, after the game, is walking down Bourbon Street and every fan is coming out of the bars and going like this. No. Yes. Yes. In his tracksuit, just trying to have a drink. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's brutal. And, and and has he talked about it since? Yeah, he's talked about it. Uh, what What's he say? Is he, did he say somebody on the uh, – I've heard him talk, say that he thought he heard somebody from the bench saying, we got a timeout. Plausible deniability there. You know, I, I've heard all – For one, though. Unlucky huh? Weber. Oh, he's your number one? Yeah, that was – yeah, you stole it. But that's fine. Sorry, I must not have seen it. You sent your list in, and I'm a dumbass. But I, I – um. And we, you, you can make your case for why that's bad luck. I think it's just he melted down. And it's terrible because he was a great pro. Um, he, he played in a place that, you know, I think NBA fans today wouldn't imagine being very competitive, but they were uh, in the 90s for sure. I mean, they had some good teams. Um, not a big market, but that's kind of what he's known for most is the Michigan yep. thing, which sucks because he was a great pro. Jim Kelly, here's my, here's my case for why he's not unlucky. He's one of my favorites, okay? I love Jim Kelly as a person, absolute beauty. As the hockey guys would say, he's a beaut. That's Jim yep. Kelly to a T. Four Super Bowls they lose. It's hard to try to lose four Super Bowls. Here's why they're not unlucky. 20 to 19, they lose the first one. The offense doesn't show up. This is why Jim Kelly's not unlucky to me. They needed Frank Reich's comeback to even get in one of the other four. And what happened in the other three? They were all blowouts. So I'm just saying, Jim Kelly was great. He just wasn't the best. And those teams weren't the best in any given of the, you know, those four years. They got a bad draw in their first show up, uh, you know, for Super Bowl. It was Belichick and, uh, and, and Lawrence Taylor. So are you talking yourself out of putting Jim Kelly on the list? That's what well, I wanted to. I wanted to address why I think people are like, well, "Where's the Bills? Where's Jim Kelly?" I don't think Jim's unlucky. I think Jim was great, and okay. if, if there was any bad luck to it, it was that he didn't play on the Cowboys. Okay, so Bills fans are pretty unlucky. Bills fans are very unlucky. You can't choose your team. Yeah, yep. unless you're a UNC fan or a Duke fan. Uh, we will. We will get to that. Yeah, you want to go now, Steve? You want to go talk. with yours, Steve? Mine? Yeah. Uh, Wally Pip. Nice. Wally Pip. Good pull. The ultimate. Fucking Lou Gehrig started how many fucking games in a row after he didn't play? Jesus. Wally yeah. Pip, number one. Yeah, you know what? That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a Bledsoe situation. Yeah. 
to to the nth degree. Now, there's going to be some on my list that, for the sake of time, I'll just interject when when you because no doubt that's Bledsoe to me. There are thousands of quarterbacks that played and were not as good as Bledsoe. Uh, and it's totally unfair that he'll always be connected to Tom Brady. It's just a it's just a bad draw. That's truly bad luck. What's the big make dog got? I mean, Wally Pip became a, a verb, which yeah. is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with my guy Fred Weiss. Um, there have been hundreds of players drafted in the first round of the NBA draft, never to be heard from again. Fred Weiss. Uh, was drafted by the Knicks, never played a game in the NBA. And how many times have dudes been playing hoop and you got a guy coming at you with the ability to dunk the basketball and you get (laughs) out the way? All he had to do was get out the way. Weiss is known for having been posterized by the United States of America's Vince Carter during a basketball game between the U.S. and France at the 2000 Summer Olympic Games. Getting the ball off a steal, the 6'6 Carter drove to the basket and spread his legs as he jumped over the 7'3 <laughs> Weiss before dunking the ball ferociously. The French media dubbed the slam Le Dunk de la Mort, the <laughs> dunk of death. And the U.S. won the game 106-94. So my guy, all he has to do is, is pivot. Get out the way, let Vince Carter dunk, and instead he's on posters and and who knows. Instead, how many he's wearing what's called the Arabian goggles. That is or correct. The, he gets the car wash, or he, you know, however you want to put it, uh, the Roman helmet. What do you put in a cup of tea? The tea bag. I mean, that's the. It's mostly called a tea bag, but let's not forget the goggles or the helmet. I mean, there's plenty of terms uh, to to, <laughs> to describe getting somebody's balls dragged across your face and ending up on a poster with that little NBA emblem. Hundreds of thousands of of white kids have that cat getting dunked on with that shiny little NBA sticker on, on the poster in their bedroom. It's, it's amazing. And all he had to do, as you said, is fucking pivot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I'm going to give you one of my good news, bad one, bad news ones here. Um, Reggie Bush. The concrete circle or the concrete ring of death, as they called it in the article I was reading, around the Edward Jones Dome field in 2015. Oh, right. that, that circle of death, well, about 30 feet off the field, there was exposed concrete on the ground. Reggie, uh, it cost him his MCL at the end of a play, but it also cost the Rams $12.5 million. And Reggie got the bag at 30. He was playing in San Francisco. He had eight rushes for 28 yards at the time, uh, and he ended up playing one more year in Buffalo. He was making one six in San Francisco at that point, and that's like you know top dollar on that yeah. contract. He ends up with 12.5 on it. Uh, and had I known, I would have chased a few more plays out of bounds <laughs> at the Everett Jones, though. <laughs> Last thing, he was probably uh, the only guy to, to make that near that much money in St. Louis with less production in 2015 was me. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was uh, hobbled that year. So uh, I definitely, I, I definitely made a lot of money in that building as well. <laughs> Uh, and didn't earn he, it. On your guys' list, college football, the Bush Bush game was on last night on NBC. He's he's like my top college football player ever. Yeah, he's so probably top five for everybody unanimously, right? 
Like, incredible, the stuff that guy did, man. Uh, I totally forgot about that, Chris. Yeah, so uh, did I. I mean, so late in the... Brutal. Yeah, yeah. And and we are not laughing about an injury. I wouldn't even be bringing it up if he didn't make 12-5 on it. Good for him. He deserved it. I know I played there. I got some friends in St. Louis. Edward Jones Dome was home, but that was fucked up. Uh, the, the, the concrete ring of death, as they called it. Reggie Bush, good news, bad news, uh, MCL. Wow. Uh, my turn. I'm going to go yeah. Jean-Claude Vandeveld. If you remember him, Jean-Claude Vandeveld, 99 British Open, has an ample stroke lead. He's going into 18. He hits the ball. The ball hits the wooden rail right before the green where they have, like, the little gullies and goes backwards mm. into the rough. From the rough, he hits it back into the water. Then he hits it over the green. He loses, like, an eight-shot lead on the 18th. It goes to a playoff, and he loses that. Jean-Claude Vandeveld, he would have set a record for putting at one of the hardest courses, Carnoustie, in the world. He would have set a record that would still be living today, and uh, he hit the wooden rail uh, on 18 with, with his second shot, and uh, the guy never came back. Did he tin cup it, basically? No, he never had it. He, he hit it. Like, give me another like, ball. That's, like, that's one of the best sports. By the way, I love tin cup. You do. Okay. Yes, good or bad movie. You know more about Great ball movie. than me. Okay. Great movie. Okay. Wasn't my guy's name John Vandeveld? Not Jean Claude Vandeveld. Oh, did I say I just said Vandeveld? Did I say Jean Claude? Yeah, but he also did karate. He also did karate. <laughs> Blood sport. Uh the whole No. Yeah, Vandeveld. Sorry. Sorry about that, Macon. I'm glad you're here. That was a compliment to Jean Vandeveld was adding the Claude. I'm sure he wishes he had a Claude in his name. <laughs> Make. I'll go I'll go bad break for the association with the uh fans cup of coke in the year 2004 landing oh. directly on Ron Artest's chest on unbelievable <laughs> precision it was uh Ron Artest fouls Ben Wallace not even that hard but Ben Wallace takes offense uh, I think the Pistons were down 15 at the time. And then Ron, not yet Meta World Pierce. Meta World Van Dam. And goes and lies on the scores table. And if the fan misses him with the cup, the malice in the palace doesn't happen. Yes. No doubt. You're so right. Widely regarded as the worst night in NBA history. I mean, if the guy misses, our test doesn't know. He doesn't go into the stands. He was like each row with that fucking Dr. Pepper. Exactly. I'm saying, and it was a big gulp. Like that was the big boy. Yeah, it's hard to throw that thing. You can't just sling a 60 ounce cola like the top. You know, for it to. I mean, it's just amazing. It was a. It was a miracle of physics. If you want to look at it that way, but that was really bad luck for the league. You're right, and yeah. changed Ron Artest's uh, career forever. Um, yeah, and if it's not full of something, I mean, it's not getting there. It, you, yeah, you so say it had the perfect amount in it to travel. You, you can't have too much. You can't have too little. It's yeah. it's a great point. Great I never ball. thought about it that way. Make so far maybe the best poll of the bad breaks uh, uh, segment here. I'm gonna go kickers in one here. These are the two kicker situations we obviously scott norwood's one but that's not bad luck he just missed it um blair walsh and uh the double doink cody parkey okay 
And I'm going to tell you why it's bad luck for both of them. Obviously, Blair Walsh, the laces were out, Finkel. It was sub-zero temperatures. It was sunny, but somehow like minus 20 at that game. It was so cold. I was I was at my uh, annual uh, spot to drink and watch the playoffs because at this point I was still on a perennial loser. I could feel <laughs> the chill on the beach. And watching him after going three for three there and missing a 27-yarder, I just knew his life was ruined. Um, and people can act like, hey, it's just sports and that whole thing. You think Scott Norwood doesn't think about that thing every day of his life? Every day. That's why sports are risky, though. I mean, yeah, you can you can get the glory, but the flip side of it is not you don't just walk away with your check. And Blair Walsh was never the same. In 2012, he was an all pro. He hit a lot of good kicks. He had records for the most 50 plus yarders in the season, that sort of thing. His career was pretty soon over after uh, that miss against Seattle. And then ironically, Seattle had him the next year, if you remember, and they cut him. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it probably felt like kicking a brick barefoot. You know, the laces were out. Sherman screaming off the edge, so he's got to hurry up. But, you know, he missed the kick. I thought it was a little bit bad luck. And Cody Parkey, I was there. And here was the thing about the Cody Parkey thing. We never should have won that game, okay? No, no doubt. We never should have won that game. When, when Trubisky, I drilled him so hard and thought he was dead and then heard the crowd go crazy. They completed a long ball into our territory, and then we knew it was pretty much over. It's over. Uh, we go out to, to, you know, on on field goal block. I hate field goal block. I'm thinking I'm probably retiring after this play, which I was actually a week early on that. But I remember lining up and some big-ass dude on the Bears is like, hey, it's all good, Hoss. Think about it this way. You're going to be on a beach next week. And uh, and I said to myself, why do people do that? I, yeah, he was trying to be nice. It was like a respectful thing. It was like, hey, buddy, you don't, you know, like, don't, don't beat yourself up over this. At least you'll be on the beach. I think he also was insinuating that they probably had no shot to make a real run, and he had to probably stay in pads another week. But I just remember by the time Cody Parkey left the stadium, I probably still didn't know that it was tipped. And I know some people are saying, yeah, it wasn't tipped. He had to hit the ball right. It was incredibly unlucky. Trayvon Hester tipped it, but he tipped it just enough to change the trajectory, but not enough that people on TV saw. And you know, once something is in your head, it's there forever. And Bears fans had decided that he was the wrong kind of goat uh, in perpetuity by the time he left the stadium. Um, one thing, going back to the kicker, when you said kickers, you know who I thought you were going to say? Bill Gramatica. Gramatica. Yeah. He's on my list. Oh, he is? Okay. Yeah. I saw the ACL thing, and then I thought. He's on my uh, list. He's on my list. Uh, but, yeah, Cody and Blair Walsh, man, those are the two in my time in the league that you just felt for them because they, they, they missed kicks, but there were factors. Okay. Um, my next one is pretty simple. Immaculate reception. Like, are you kidding me with that bounce? That's, that's just – I mean, that's a Super Bowl for the Raiders. That's a Super Bowl. And I think a lot of people watching uh, NFL film shit, they're not even paying attention to who's on the other end of it. If you weren't a kid then watching those games. Uh, and it's funny, I had jotted down the Raiders in general because of the tuck rules. Yeah. I mean, you lose two games that way. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. That's, it's, they, they are the NFL because I have another team that I'll get to in another. Uh, league, but I just immaculate reception, absolutely incredible. Like, I thank God the Raiders have championships. 
Yeah, exactly. That's it. That, it you, you could soften it up, but like that, that's how close they were to another one. Yeah. And you know, how, you know how hard they are to get. Yeah. Yep. So just 19, 1990. I reckon this is a bad break for the Georgia tech yellow jackets and oh. to the Missouri tigers, but Colorado gets five downs to beat Mizzou in 1990. They clock it on fourth down. Referees lose track of what down it is. Colorado gets the fifth, wins the game 33-31. Colorado goes on to share the national title with Georgia Tech. Colorado was the AP national champ. Georgia Tech, the coaches poll national champ. And that is just nutty to think about. We're 30 years removed. And now, obviously, nothing like that could ever happen though i do have the nfc championship game on my list which is a little bit different it being Mm -hmm. a judgment call but just having having the officials having uh, a number of folks in the stadium lose track of what down it is when we only need to get to, to four one two three four it's not rocket science and it to have so many ramifications including a national title for Bill McCartney and the boys. Pretty crazy. Hey, Megan, that one stung. No pun intended. Georgia Tech. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Who, whose were number one that year for about Yeah, I know. So far. Oh, love it. Sean Moore and Herman Moore. Fuck them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, fuck the, oh. the Yellow Jackets. They they beat us, and, and we would have had a title, or at least a share of it, probably. Right, Meg? We we fell apart after that loss, but yeah, Scott says that think, kick doesn't yeah. go in. We uh we might have one. That's old school intro turf there too, boy. Oh Ooh. yeah, Scott Stadium Ooh. did not look like it does today. Not like a pristine <laughs> lawn. It looked like a uh, a minefield for ACLs and Achilles and bursitis. Holy shit! Could you even play? I mean, you you played play a little I played, after I played on the old ones. Oregon still had it because they had the different color at every five yards, bro. Washington had it. God, it was awful. It it's was brutal. It, it's brutal to think about. It's the one thing that that makes me, you know, like I, I do think football players are better today than than back in the day. But the 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 things they were able to do to their body, and I think I'm convinced it's because they didn't know any better. They weren't genetically superior from a toughness standpoint. They just didn't know any better. Like this is the field you play football on. It just is what it is. You have camp. You hit twice, three times a day for six weeks. Like, there's that, no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just different. Yeah, that that's a whole other podcast. AstroTurf. That that's a great. Yeah. That's a you great could topic. do a whole pod on AstroTurf. No doubt. You know I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit. Yikes! Here, Clint Malerchuk. Okay, you know that one there, Steve. Clint Malerchuk was the Sabers goalie that got sliced in the neck. I mean, he almost died on. You know, the Blues were visiting Buffalo. I Bad forget beat. what year it was. This is back in maybe the 70s. And he gets sliced by a skate, needs 300 stitches, loses a liter and a half of blood. 11 fans fainted. I don't know how they kept count of this shit, which is ridiculous to me. This is my favorite part of reading about this thing uh, is that they were like, they literally had a tally. Like, oh, did you faint? Did you faint? Two heart attacks. He had somebody, an equipment manager, call his mother to say, I love you. He thought he was going to die. Here was the good luck part of this whole thing, if you can believe it. There was a Vietnam vet and combat medic on the Sabres training staff. He pinched his artery with his hand closed until the doctor showed up, saved his life. 
Clint was never the same as a player. He went through a lot with alcoholism, P- PTSD. His career kind of struggled because of it. I think he's good now. He ended up coaching and and uh, and that sort of thing. But God, that's bad luck. I mean, it eventually cost him his career and his mental health. Yeah, that's 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 a whole other level. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go Fred Brown. You know who Fred Brown is? No. See, and a lot of people still don't because if you watch the Jordan doc uh, last week when they showed the '82 title game, Georgetown and North Carolina. They made it act like North Carolina won on Jordan's shot, and that was the last second shot. Georgetown got the ball. Georgetown went down the court, and Georgetown had the ball in the hands of Fred Brown. Brown called James Worthy. James Worthy doesn't play for Georgetown. James Worthy plays for North Carolina. Therefore, Worthy dribbles it out. He gets fouled. This is There's a lot of prongs to this story. Sorry, I should have said that at the beginning. No, you're good. Worthy gets fouled. Carolina is giving one and a half. The shot that Jordan made put them up one, all right? Now Worthy, they, there's no way. Georgia, Georgetown should have just took the last shot, and that was the game. You know, that's how it was back then. Now North Carolina has the ball. Worthy goes to the line, misses both shots, clock expires. Carolina still doesn't cover with Worthy at the line. But Fred Brown threw the ball to James Worthy. Look it up. It's just it's, it's brutal. Georgetown has a chance. Was he win. on the bench or something? Was he out of bounds? No, or something? Running behind, he was trailing the play, and he turned around and he just threw it to him. It's oh, it's awful. It's it's like to know you have a chance to win a national championship, and that happens. You know what's brutal. funny? You mentioned that about the the, the last dance, uh, and we're all watching it. Is there's a lot of shots that you remember being the the pent ultimate shot in a game, and they weren't. There were other shots, yeah. big shots at the end of the game, the Cleveland game. You know, mm-hmm. Elo wasn't the only big shot in that game. You mentioned that yeah. as well. It's just funny to go back because all you see is highlights if you didn't see it in real time. And if you lived it, you remember all those shots leading up. Um, but, hey, yeah. Well, I just wanted to add to that because that starts my trend. I, I, I wrote Patrick Ewing down his life Yeah. because that started it. That's his first chance. He has a, he's a freshman there. The next year they lose to Memphis in NCAA tournament. The next year he wins a title against Akeem in, in Seattle. And then he plays Villanova for another national championship. Villanova shoots 80% from the field. Yeah, yeah. He loses that. He goes to the NBA, and then he has to play against Michael Jordan. Believe like, me, I'm a Knicks fan, dude. I uh, Poor guy. Just, I, I just, just, he was just in the – there was one guy that kept him from winning a championship. If Michael Jordan is not born, you know, I, I think the Knicks have at least one. It's safe. And then when – you'll see it this – or I think, I think you saw it uh, in episode one. And now Ewing – Nice guy that he is, the warrior that he was, goes on the last dance to talk about Jordan. What's he wearing? He's wearing his Georgetown shirt. Right. Who sponsors Georgetown? Jumpman. Uh, He's got Georgetown uh, and Jumpman on his shirt. And the guy's that's brutal. Like, there's that, that, it's just full circle. It's, it's awful. I feel yeah, so the lay, bad. Layup, the layup, uh, you know, the whole thing. It's uh, And he was just a force. I mean, he was amazing and, a, and awesome. a great guy. A great guy. Unbelievable. Chris, you mentioned Jim Kelly. I'm going to bring up Thurman Thomas. Look, he only missed a few snaps, but we've all had the nightmare where we're rolling into the test and we didn't study or X, Y, Z, we have a job to do and we haven't prepared. The guy can't find his helmet as the Super Bowl is beginning. Worst feeling ever. Thurman oh. ends up with 
13 yards on 10 carries for the ball game after eventually locating his helmet. Skins went up 24 0, won 37 24 in Super Bowl 26. Um, just in, uh, unconscionable to think yeah. that you can't locate the most important piece of equipment before one of the biggest games of your life. Let me do a couple baseball. I mean, you okay, you mentioned let's let's do knees real quick for me. Okay. We got Derek Rose. Okay. There's there's a knee situation. He's the rookie of the year. He's probably the biggest athlete what might have been in basketball history, in my opinion. And Len Bias, of course, we talk about that. But in my generation of being a basketball fan, Derek Rose healthy changes the trajectory of basketball the last 10, 15 years. Uh, rookie of the year MVP hurts himself in the last seconds of a Sixers game. And then 18 months later, does it again. Uh, what might have been the, the ACLs that you mentioned? I have the ACL trio in football here. Uh, Grammatica, Tulloch, and Lamar Houston all hurt themselves. Same thing, celebrating, leaving the ground, and we've all done it. So it's funny when football players and athletes are like, yeah, you shouldn't celebrate like that. That's why. It's like, motherfucker, I've seen people do crazy shit and not get hurt. It's just terrible luck. Grammatica, after he makes a kick, Tulloch, I think, was a sack. Houston was a sack. And Houston, by the way, was a really good player in Oakland. He was never the same after that injury. Uh, so the ACL stuff, bad for D-Rose, bad for those three. Yeah, that, I mean, luck, luck is bad as it gets with those. Yeah. Um, you said baseball. You mentioned baseball. And I'm just like, a lot of stuff, baseball is, is, is pretty rough. Uh, because, you know, somebody's hitting a home run. You know, somebody's making a play. You know, it's a physical thing. But, but now, we're all this Chapman giving up a home run and a walk-off to Altuve is pretty unlucky because he knew what was – the guy was slow because he had sensors on him. So, I put all this Chapman on the and list. And Kershaw. And Kershaw. Yeah. Like, Kershaw I mean, was – and with, with the, the rep that Kershaw has, he was costed a win in the World Series, and I think 17. So – that, that, that's on my list now. I didn't think I was going to have baseball, and I just thought, I'm like, wait, what, what's happened recently in baseball? And, like, I was trying to go backwards, like, with Bonds and all that, and I'm like, I don't even have to go. Like, the last game that was played. Oh, yeah, so, anybody who played the Astros or anybody who <laughs> lost a home run title, and we could look back at that to somebody who was jamming needles in their ass and had pimples all over them. Yeah. So. How about Armando Galarraga? Oh, which is probably worse for Jim Joyce, who yeah. lost the guy his his perfect game. That'll always stick with me. Um, college hoops. How about the Dayton Flyers in the year 2020? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, oh, disclaimer, God. Yeah. obviously, we're dealing with something very serious. But you're Dayton, and you're 29-2, and two, and you got Obi Toppin, and here comes a pandemic. <laughs> a pandemic? To cancel the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's that's a bad break. Yeah, and you're, yeah. Dating. you're dating. Like, you are. You live in Ohio. No offense to Ohio, but you're, you're, no dating. you're a Dayton Flyers fan. Like, this is, this is heaven. You think this is it. And, you know, we hope that, you know, unfortunately, there probably will be another major illness that will sweep the globe at some point in the next hundred years. There will not be another Obi top in, in Dayton, Ohio in no. the next hundred years, which sucks for them. Yeah. Okay. So b- baseball, let me break off a two piece for you involving baseball and mother nature, because I have this thing categorized. We got Jabba Chamberlain 
and the midges. Java, Java Chamberlain and the fucking insects. And as a guy that would bathe in 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 uh, deep, if they told me it was going to kill me, I'll do it every summer evening. He was getting crushed in 2007. ALDS, New York up one in the seventh. Java out of the bullpen. I think he was replacing Pettit. They're in Cleveland. And uh, I didn't even know that there were bugs in Cleveland like that. Bottom of the eighth, it just hits the fan. They lose the lead. Uh, and Derek Jeter said he wanted to come to the mound, but he was afraid because of how many flies there were there. I mean, what are so, they called again? Midges? Midges. I didn't know they were called midges. I looked up Jabba Chamberlain today because I was like, didn't he get attacked by flies? <laughs> yeah, midges. Uh, Randy Johnson's bird. That, that bird, there's only been one bird that I know of that ever got hit by a pitch, and he happened to get hit by the big unit. One of the hardest throwing <laughs> dudes that was basically <laughs> chucking the ball from halfway home. And it's funny because some people are like, oh, pretty unlucky bird. He got hit by Randy Johnson. Yeah, he's unlucky, I guess. But it probably made it more painless. It was probably over quicker. The, the fucking bird disintegrated just like that. If he got hit by a slider, does he limp off and die in the, in, in, you know, in the dugout? There was nothing left from the bird. I also think a 95-mile-per-hour fastball would have killed him. And fun fact here. PETA tried to bring legal action against Randy Johnson in the most unsurprising thing ever. Also, that was the year they won the World Series. This was in the spring. They won it in 2001 uh, in the fall. Maybe it was a good omen. I'm not sure. It had to be a fastball, too. I, I it was a dove. Stay away from the field. Yeah, um, I, got one, I got one on the way out. It's, it's, it's a game because – I think a lot played into it. There's obviously one of my favorite sports movies was made about it, but the 1980 Russia hockey team, like that team was loaded. You saw them just disintegrate after the late goal in the second period. Uh, you know, he doesn't know when to pull the goalie. Like it's just the, 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 the fall off a cliff as fast as you could. Uh, but the Russia, like there's no way they, that they should have lost that game. And, they did. Thank God. Do you, have awesome. a way, do you have a weigh-in on Buckner before you leave? Because Buckner's on my list, and I think both of us were, were not even born when that happened. No, no, we were one year old. I was one year old. Macon was just – Here's, here's – I, I will give you something on Buckner because I'm a Mets fan. I'm a loser Mets fan. Um, and, that, and I will say this because I always thought about it, and I, I, when I was younger, I was nine when it happened. So, I mean, I was in my, you know, growing up like crazy days. Bill Buckner ended his career with more hits than Joe DiMaggio. Hmm. You could look that up, like, and 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 yes, for that moment, um, it's just it's brutal. Uh, he shouldn't have been in the game. They subbed him out. McNamara subbed him out uh, late in games. You know, as you see guys do now for defense, he was still in the game. McNamara's taking the blame for that. There's a lot that went into that thing, but yeah, uh, for 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 what it turned out to be, the longevity of it. Um, you know, and then they brought him back, you know, when they won a couple titles. But, yeah, no, that's a great call. We were going to do this today. I'm like, how am I going to do baseball? Like, baseball is just like physical. Like, as mental as the game is, when when unfortunate moments, you know, it's not really luck. It's it's, yeah. it's a guy doing something, you know. But, no, that's the, the two great calls by you. Well, Buckner was bad, but I also think when I look back at the Buckner thing, and you can't blame me, I don't know what the hell happened leading up to it. Again, you mentioned being a kid. Uh, they're up 5-3, and the Mets manager, if you're watching, because I watched the whole sequence on YouTube, is getting Maybe. the entire time for fucking up the bunt situation, the sacrifice yeah. bunt situation. So the Sox are up 5-3. They pull Clemens, which is 
you know, over a blister, um, which is weird. Uh, and then Mookie Wilson fouled like five balls off with two strikes, five, six balls. And the wild pitch was the tying run that was on the catcher. So Buckner yep. took the last turn to fuck the game up. It was like, and there was another two. game. It was game six. Yes. It was another game. And they yes. were winning the game. Yes. So, so unfair. Buckner, I hate that. Rest in peace. He died this year, I think. Uh, that had to haunt him forever. It was tough. That's the, again, it's the trade off of playing sports. So, yep. no Stan and Steve, it was great. We'll continue this segment without you. We know you got daddy duty. Yeah, we got a, we got a big Zoom dance class coming on here. So, uh, okay. I'm losing the room. Uh, good. Make me, buddy. Anytime you guys need me, you know I'm here. You're the man. Show them how it's done, buddy. Yeah. All right, Make, what you got next, man? Manti Teo and. <laughs> investigative journalism i guess it was deadspin that looked into this uh lene kikua death and i don't know if he's grateful that deadspin uncovered the fact that he was catfished i'm guessing not i'm guessing this was a net negative for manti teo um i think we've forgotten about it is he still in the league well there you go we don't know that and yet we know that he had a Fake girlfriend who died, and her death was also fake. Man, that was um, that was one of dude. And I have a I have a related story, but that had that happened in 2020. Oh, ugly would have got ugly. Um, Manti Teo is currently he was re-signed December 3rd, 2019, by the Saints. He's still in it. And uh, I'm happy for him because that was a fucked up situation. When I was 12 or 13, I was on vacation and me and a friend met two girls and uh, we made out uh, on the beach. And uh, are you and the two girls? Me and the two girls. Okay. So we had this like beach double date, right? This whatever making out as a 13 year old entails. Um, and we became AOL friends. Uh, Shortly thereafter, one of the 13-year-olds alerted my friend to tell me that uh, she was – my date was run over by an 18-wheeler and to never, to never contact her again. And he, not understanding what the situation was um, – and I wasn't even trying to contact this girl. Um, she just really must have been put off by my beachside etiquette. <laughs> or, or she was really run over by an 18 wheeler. And if so, God rest her soul 32 years later, or, you know, 22 years later. But, uh, yeah. I mean, were there any more details? Was she, was she in a vehicle run over by an 18 wheeler? Was she on the side of a road run? Man, over it by just it? sounds aw- awful specific. If you're going to be, you know, I know you got to talk to next of kin, uh, but why are you contacting the fling, the one night fling, the 13 year old, uh, from the beach, uh, Greege, Greege slinger 13. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And then, and listen, I was also toe for kid 13. So that's right. You know, that might've been in the toe for kid era. It might've been the Greece slinger era. I'm not sure, but listen, I thought it was awfully specific to go with the 18 wheelers. Like, no, she got run over by a Peterbilt on 44 at mile marker 18. Like it just sounded fishy. I don't, the reason I'm able to joke about this now is clearly we were being like reverse Manti Teo. Yeah. Well, in the event that you weren't, um, best wishes to her family and uh, may she rest in peace. <laughs> oh, man, I hope, I hope 
I hope I was being lied to. I do. Uh, I don't know how to handle that situation. Uh, so you mentioned Manti Teo. I want to hit two unfair errors, okay? Uh, two – well, okay. So you mentioned Manti Teo. Uh, I've got Trey Junkin. You're a Giants fan. Oh, okay. my gosh. Trey yeah. Junkin, 2003 Giants. They're in the playoffs. They're the wild card team. They're playing the, uh, the West champs. I don't know if it was the NFC West back then or they were – yeah, because they've always been the NFC West. They were one of the few teams to – the old NFC West – Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, San Francisco. So they were, whether they're holdovers at this point or not, doesn't matter. They won the West. They uh, are down, the Niners are, they find themselves down big time against the Giants, 38-14. The Giants blow that lead, uh, and the game ends with the Giants down 39-38 and attempting a 41-yard field goal. Trey Junkin is the fourth snapper brought in before the game uh, because everybody else was hurt somehow. I don't know how snappers were getting hurt that year. And he fucks up the snap. Okay. Now, if you say Trey Junkin and you were an NFL fan back then, let alone a Giants fan, you know, the first thing comes to mind is he choked and blew the snap. He had 250 NFL games and he had probably five bad snaps. San Francisco went on to get crushed by the Bucks the next week. I don't think that the, the Giants were there for long, but if we learn anything about the Giants, wild card doesn't mean shit. They can run the table. It doesn't matter. Uh, I just thought it was a bit unfair. There was a lot that happened in that game that led to that situation, and it was a 41-yarder. It wasn't a chip shot. Trey Junkin had a long career. It sucks that that is all he's remembered for. Great call. You're totally right, and it was his only game ever with the New York Giants. He had retired. His career started in 83. This game was in 2002. One game with the Giants. I, yeah, you don't even feel bad. Uh, I, you do feel bad. You don't even feel <laughs> – you, you, it's not anger. You feel terrible for the guy. Maybe not in the immediate aftermath, uh, but it is a, it's a Buckner-like situation. But, it's uh, bad. It's on a very small scale a Buckner-like situation. And then sure. – and. I, you know, it's funny, you mentioned him coming out of retirement. Anytime a football player uh, thinks about coming out of retirement, you should think also about the worst case scenario. Yes. Because if you end up on a Super Bowl stage and drop a pass or jump off sides with five seconds to go and blow the whole thing, you're going to wish your ass was on that couch. So you should always think about Trey Junkin, uh, think about Buckner, think about some of these, these players that – that's what they ended up known for. It sucks. Uh, who do you got next? Uh, I'll mention Leon Lett. We, we think Great. about him um, getting caught by Don Beebe in that Super Bowl while he starts to celebrate uh, at about the 10-yard line. They, they won that game by a million. Big. Um, there was also that game in the snow against the Dolphins where I think all you – I don't have every detail, but – the Cowboys um, block a field goal, I want to say. Uh, we'll look at it another time, do a fact check. But all he has to do is, is not touch it, essentially. And uh, he falls on the ball, um, does not secure it. Dolphins pick it up. Uh, I think that resulted in an L. The, what people remember, that fumble recovery and his, his showboating and getting caught by BB um, was not. But uh, I think um, maybe synonymous is too strong a word, but you think boneheaded plays, I think Leon Lett. 
I don't I don't think Leon Lett Super Bowl champ because I when I was looking You're at right. Leon Lett, I wasn't like oh well they won that I had forgotten that they that they won that game by however many they did. I think when I think Leon Lett, I think big athletic human, really good football player, Dallas Cowboy, caught by Don Beebe, but he got off good on that. This is another bad luck, good luck situation. He's lucky he was on the Cowboys. Imagine he's on another team that that costs him the Super Bowl. It would yeah. be unbelievable. Now, if you'll remember back, and this is off the dome here, the Utah kid that from maybe eight, nine years ago, he dropped the ball at the goal line in a big night game, yeah. uh, wide receiver there. There's been a couple situations like that. Last year we had a real scare in the playoffs. Uh, Bills, Texans, uh, my man – DeAndre Carter, uh, wide receiver formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, ended up down in Houston, I believe it was, caught the ball in the end zone, didn't signal touchback, dropped the ball. Luckily, they were right. But initially, I thought that he was going to be public enemy number one in Houston. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that it can go any which way there. I'm looking at Steve's list that he sent me before, and I barely looked. By the way, I did not steal. Uh, the, my first pick, uh, the uh, who was it? Chris Weber. He doesn't have Chris Weber written here. He does have John Claude Van Develt written, <laughs> but he also has Wally Pitt, Immaculate Reception, Fred Brown, Georgetown. He hit that. Scott Norwood, Warren Moon, which is a good one. Warren Moon had to deal with a lot of bullshit. Um, Patrick Ewing, his life, ninety-one UNLV, uh, and he also has two thousand fourteen Kentucky. Those are the ones we didn't get to. So completing Steve's list. I'm going to go with Steve Bartman. Bartman, for me, I feel for the guy. Listen, he's a fan. Fans get excited. How many people have reached in the field of play, you know, throughout the decades to catch a ball? Bad time to do it. It was fan interference, first off. Probably should have been called that way. Three-nothing lead evaporated. They're five outs away um, from going to the big one. and. You know, I just wonder how tough his life has been since then. You talk about athletes that have made big mistakes. He's right up there with Buckner as far as things that probably haunt him uh, forever. And I wonder how much this World Series championship they were able to win in the last five years has changed his life. Because now does he feel vindicated? I mean, this is a guy that Jeb Bush offered asylum. Like, he was going to go in the witness protection program. Um, and would there be a worse place to mess up than Chicago like that? I mean, Buffalo, maybe a fan blowing, you know, blowing the game somehow or rear ending Josh Allen on the way to the to the AFC championship, you know, hurting his back and you lose to the Patriots in the AFC championship. And this is your year. Like, I don't know what could be worse than what happened to Steve Bartman. I want to know where the headphones are now where the Walkman is or whatever he had, the radio he had. I want to know where he watched the World Series uh, when they won it. Like, it's just intriguing to me. Yeah, there have been documentaries done on the guy, and it is not Point surprising. In direction. Not, not surprising to learn that um, his life was hell in the aftermath, and, and hopefully not as much anymore. But, yeah, I think that World Series – does him a world of good, just as as the few that Buckner was able to witness for the Sox. Uh, Philly fans might not 
take too kindly to something. No, Philly sure. fans wouldn't, but we got that monkey off our back in Philly, didn't we? Yeah, I did. but yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just thinking of cities and situations where you could end up with a Bartman and how rough it would be. Chicago, really great fans. I wonder how forgiving they'd be if Bartman was at Wrigley Field now uh, for a first pitch. It's time to do that, though. You, you just got to do it. Yeah. Bygones be bygones. You're champions. Forgive the guy. Voices Salou won't appreciate it, and the guys on the team won't appreciate it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, our UVA guys that lose to UMBC. You know, sure, they're excited for the program the next year, but they still feel terrible because they lost to UMBC. If, if Bartman ever came back, I think the fans might forgive, but maybe the players on that team wouldn't. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I do think it's fair. Uh, but death threats and all that stuff, it just goes to show. It's just Unfair. we live in a fucked up society. Uh, Blazers, Bowie, uh, or Bowie, however you say his name. Uh, Odin, you know, although there's way more, you know, sting for the guy that was drafted ahead of Michael Jordan. And by Clyde Drexler's admission on Greenlight Pod, see how we did that. Nice. Um, he was a great player. I mean, he, it was injuries that slowed him down. He was going to be a really solid player for a long time in the league, and they needed a big man. That's what they thought. They, were, they thought they were playing chess. They needed a big man um, for matchups, and instead of drafting Michael Jordan, you end up uh, with Sam, and it never, it never materialized, and obviously the rest is history. Odin, though, not as bad to get drafted before Durant. And obviously some of that was, I don't know if it takes the sting off because people nowadays know that Greg Oden, it was all about the injuries. You know, had he been healthy, you never know. Uh, but I don't think people realize that grew up these days that, you know, there were injuries as a factor in the early 80s for, for Sam. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I have, uh, I'll stick with hoop and say uh, one that never was, and that's Zion Williamson's shoe exploding mm-hmm. was nearly um a, a seismic news and uh turned out not to be such it was a story that never was nike you think you maybe um have done something to a, a guy's career he was wearing Kyrie's, i believe um you think he might be hurt fortunately he wasn't now he's um contending for a playoff spot with the New Orleans Pelicans, as C. Long reported earlier, that the NBA uh, could soon. I like that. I like that. Also contending for Rookie of the Year. I mean, you almost forget that he's in the running for all these things right now, but uh, things are on pause. We'll see. I want to finish with a um, with a Red Sox one again. Uh, this is, again, for Red Sox fans, it might have been bittersweet because you ended up with your first championship, but no Mark Garcia Parra. Fixture in uh, Boston, shipped out of town uh, that summer uh, before college started for us. Because I'll always remember freshman year, partying, you and me, because you're the Sox fans, or you're the Sox fan. I saw, you know, I think we saw that game at the Biltmore. Yeah. Uh, and I remember the pandemonium that was, uh, was campus or grounds, as people say here. Um, you're the big Sox fan. What do you remember about the Nomar trade? Um, well, not much. I remember Nomar being beloved. I remember Nomar's ritual, uh, at bat before every single pitch. 
I remember Nomar being uh, the savior, the wonderkind out of Georgia Tech who was going to deliver the chip. And, uh, yeah, bad timing. Or uh, I, I also remember Nomar, everybody thinking that it was Ramon backwards, and it wasn't. It was his dad's five best friends, the first letter of their names, N-O-M-A-R, Nomar. What? Yeah. Yeah, dude. First off, who would think that it would be Ramon backwards? Like that was something people do. And then second off, I've never heard an acronym like that turned into a name, especially like the dad must have really loved his friends. Like it's the best friend of all time. Yeah. Um, Let's see. If we were to do men's lunch, guys, my kids' names would be C-T-M-K. There's Yeah, there's no um, vowels in there. You got lucky with 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 vowed. Names. Yeah, you you need you need some vowels. Nomar's dad had them. Yeah, he was there eight years. You shipped off the. If you read about it, they say bad chemistry and it improved with Cabrera. Um, and those guys were just above five hundred, looking up at the Yankees. So, you know, that's something for me that was a blur. Uh, you know, as a casual baseball fan. I would put Jordan Matthews in this conversation on a much lower scale. You probably don't know why. Jordan Matthews was on three Super Bowl rosters. Uh, two of them, he didn't, he didn't finish the year. Philly, New England, uh, he missed the Philly year. Okay, so he's been kind of a, a cult little hero in Philly. Like People really respect Jordan. He's a great teammate, been a good player. Uh, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. but. He was in Philly, didn't make it to the Super Bowl in New England, didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Then I saw him this year in uh, in San Francisco or in actually uh, in Miami for the Super Bowl. And he was playing for the Niners. And I was just thinking to myself, like, man, if anybody deserves to get this 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 ring, it's Jordan Matthews. And lo and behold, the Kansas City Chiefs win. So 0-3 as far as getting an opportunity to win a Super Bowl and it materializing. Hey, Chris, from Wikipedia, Nomar Garcia Parra, his middle name comes from his father, Ramon. Nomar is Ramon no. spelled backwards. No. So I might need to undergo some testing. Where did um, you get the fucking acronym thing? Bro, I swear to God that that was like, that's been gospel in my head since I was aware of Nomar in the mid 90s. I cannot um, wait to name. You know, if there's a third kid at some point down the line, I'm going to do an acronym with, with I don't, friends' names. I, maybe I've lost my mind officially because I, I I had that as fact in my head pictures, and I was yes. wrong. You know what? You know what would be funny, and if if we if we edited out that revelation and we let all of the listeners at Greenlight Pod walk around saying, "You know what? I just learned today." <laughs> Right, or it's going to be, hey, you idiot, his dad's name is Ramon, and it's Ramon backwards. Oh, fuck. Either way, I'm, I'm cool. Well, no more getting traded was bad luck, so that was bad luck. That's a lot of bad luck, and we could do this probably for five pods. I love doing this. I hate the bad luck part of it. We should do a good luck pod next week. Mm-hmm. I like it. There you go. Content is planned. Good breaks, uh, because there's probably countless guys who – you know, spent a long time on a team, left in free agency. Obviously, I, I would say D Ford is up there. I didn't even think about that. D Ford jumping off sides in that game against the Patriots, 
a lot of people thinking costing them, uh, you know, a title. And then the very next year, heading to San Francisco and losing that game to his old team. Yep, no doubt. Bad luck. Bad luck, good player, bad luck. If there's one thing I got to look back on my career and be thankful for is that none of those situations ever happened to me. You know, there was a load of bad luck, as we talked about earlier, but I never ended up. And that's a huge fear in, in a player's mind. I mean, you don't think about it often, but when you take the field in a big situation, it does cross your mind, what if? Like, it could happen to you anytime. And it's happened on smaller scales in everybody's career, but to happen on a big stage, it's tough. We talked about a lot of guys with bad luck here, um, and we're certainly not reveling in their bad luck. But something to do on a rainy day in the pandemic. I thought this was fun. It was. Great idea by you. Great idea to do a more positive spin next week. Let's do it. Okay, so as we mentioned, it is the weekend. Everybody enjoy their weekend. Emergency podcast nightcap. You know, we did that that pod you just listened to Thursday evening, and it is Thursday about 10, 10 p.m. And yeah, I know we, we put it in like Friday morning tense, but we do that so people aren't confused. But it's essentially Friday. It's almost Friday, so don't worry about it. Right now, it is 10, 10. I just saw... The most epic video I've ever seen. I'm blown away. Tom Brady to Tampa did not demand that I get in the lab and talk about it. The biggest moments of my short podcasting career have not moved me to hit record, but Steve fucking Forbes of Wake Forest Basketball had me sprinting to my phone to hit record. This is a voice memo. I'm not even using Zoom. I can't wait to narrate this piece of art that I just saw for you guys. So if you haven't seen it, pause the podcast and look up the Steve Forbes Wake Forest introduction video. He is the new head coach in Winston-Salem. And this video, by the time you listen to this podcast, will be one of the most popular videos on the internet. You will always remember where you were when you saw the Steve Forbes <laughs> to Wake Forest video. What in the name of Tim Duncan's baggy ass jeans did I just see. Frame by frame, no exaggeration, I probably watched the video 32 times, which is a lot. It's a 48 second video. My wife is asleep upstairs and I'm sure she's wondering who's yelling down here. That would be Steve fucking Forbes. He is yelling through the phone at me, at my children. <laughs> at every high school basketball player in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that there is a new player in town in the ACC, and it is Steve fucking Forbes. And you better consider Steve Forbes as you're looking at the Dukes and the Virginias and the UNCs. Don't forget about Wake Forest, because they just made the most mind-bending 48 seconds of footage I have ever seen in my adult life, certainly in the pandemic. And we've had Tiger King. We've had a lot of shit. We've had fucking press conferences every day this is the this is it this is the video this is not a coach and presumably an athletic director these are real men from the show east founded down and they crawled out of the tv like the girl from the ring and fucking made a a video and it was posted on a major university's athletic site and twitter account i mean the video is like if um a wrestling promo had sex with a car dealership commercial and then like in walked a Marks and Harrison commercial <laughs> and they had a threesome. That's the baby right there. That's the baby.
Whew. Anyways, where do we start? It's 48 seconds long. If you've already watched it, you don't feel like it's that funny, you should probably stop now. But I'm pretty sure you get it if you've seen it. Last chance to watch it. Spoilers incoming. <laughs> the thing opens with a wide shot of a wake forest. Very nice, very clean, but very industry standard basketball gym practice facility. And in the middle of the practice facility is a man breaking his neck to look up into the rafters in a gray suit and PPE. And there's dramatic stock music. And this guy, he's staring up into those rafters like he's in the Sistine Chapel. They move to a, a rear hero shot of sorts. And probably 10 feet behind this character, this mysterious figure. And he's off center on the half court line. But it is... An intense hero shot. Stock music continues uh, again. Think eastbound and down. 3.8 seconds. There's a guy that I don't think they realized made it into the, uh, the video. Also wearing a suit standing in the hallway making a hand gesture. And then the frame changes. It's supposed to be just Steve fucking Forbes. There's somebody else in the video. Next thing you know, in walks the athletic director. Saunters in with that we just did it face walks up to a safe distance. Not sure if they actually shot this together, Steve and the athletic director, um, but they're presumably 10, 15 feet away, maintaining safe distance as they should. Um, and he's also wearing PPE, but his PPE, again, Steve's PPE is not wake, but it's just plain white PPE generic. The athletic director's PPE has some weird, some like coral pattern that he cut off of like a Williams Sonoma pillow to make PPE. And he's got two questions. It's like he's got good news. The good news is they just cleared the deal. We've got a deal. Steve fucking Forbes in the building. He's hyped with good reason. I'm sure Steve Forbes is a good coach. I know I'm making this podcast and the video is cracking me up. I'm sure Steve Forbes is a good coach, but the AD's hype. Understandably, it's Steve fucking Forbes. He's got two questions for him. One, will players graduate? Absolutely. And gestures up to the banners. Are we going to get some more of these? Steve fucking Forbes is like, yeah, that's what we came here to do. Now, those banners, this gray Poupon looking ass, <laughs> dusty ass banners. A uh, little ACC smack talk here. They're looking lonely. With a video like this, I think they're onto something, okay? There might be another banner up there. Uh, with the, uh, I believe 96 was the last one I saw the last ACC championship for them. Then he says, good answers. And Steve Forbes is sitting there like, yeah, I know they were. Uh, but the funny thing to me is like, what if they weren't good answers? Was he going to like turn around and nix the deal? Um, get the double finger point as he introduces Steve Forbes to camera. Uh, and Steve is hyped. You don't see the athletic director again. I don't know where he is as the, uh, the video finishes, but Steve's face begins to turn a little bit red. He takes the PPE off, takes one step at the camera, spikes it. Gronk spikes that motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Let me not forget that the, the athletic director tossed him a whistle. That was the changing of the guard. And then Steve fucking Forbes decides that it's time to scream into the cameraman's face. Let me discard my PPE and scream down your throat real quick. <laughs> and that's what we're gonna do to the ACC. How did that video get made? Like there was a script, which I wanna see, that got written out 
and handed to the AD and handed to Steve fucking Forbes. <laughs> and they were all like looking at it. And they were like, mm-hmm, yeah, it's, yep, spikes PPE, screams into camera, mm-hmm. And then, and then they take the script and then they're like just setting up the shot and they shoot it and then they all look at it, including probably like a big room of people looked at it and they were like, yeah, this is fucking good, dude. And then they take it to like the social media team and the social media team, of course, is like, yeah, this is fire right here. I'm going to hit tweet on this bad boy and it's going to go viral by Friday morning. And not the type of attention you want. Or maybe they do want this attention. Maybe I am getting played here by Steve fucking Forbes. I wouldn't even be mad. I would not be mad if I was getting played by Steve Forbes. Because there is a new player in town in the ACC. And he's not fucking around. One of the best videos I have ever seen. Hats off.